0: and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. Jay Severin. We welcome Alan Dershowitz, who to this
1: audience, I am sure, requires no introduction. Alan Dershowitz is the, is America's, our Constitution's preeminent scholar on the Constitution and on criminal law, Uh, having spent most of his career thus far in Chapter 1 at uh, Harvard Law School, where he's the youngest tenured professor ever. Uh, And you know him from so many important cases which have made up the mosaic of American legal and cultural life, pornography cases from Deep Throat, the Klaus von Bülow case, uh, the O.J. Simpson case, many, many too many to mention, other than to say when some people pass, other people weep. I was a little too young or disinterested somehow that when John Kennedy passed or Bobby Kennedy passed or others I I was struck, I was sobered, but I I did not weep, because that's natural and instinctive and immediate. When I learned this evening that Justice Scalia had passed, I wept openly and immediately. I should feel exactly the same in that day, somewhere very far off, if Alan Dershowitz, if, I say, Alan Dershowitz passes, because he represents... The same kind of cultural, legal milestone that even amateurs have been informed by their whole lives. My friend, my dear friend, Alan Dershowitz, welcome back to the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your kind words. You can be very sure that I too will pass, as we all will, that's the nature of life, as Kafka said. I don't said. know about The meaning you. of life I... is that we die. It's always hard to imagine a world without you, but we have to. Look, I've known Justice Scalia for so many years. I actually knew his father. Uh, His father was a professor at Brooklyn College in the 1950s when I was a student. And I first met Justice Scalia when he was a law professor. And uh, we've been um, friends. Um, We've disagreed about a great many things, but I have enormous respect for him. One day when I was teaching at Harvard Law School, uh, I came back from my class and the phone rang. And the guy on the other end said, hi, this is Nino. And, you know, I wasn't used to calling him (laughs) Nino. Uh, I said, Nino? He said, yeah, Justice Scalia. He said, I accept. I said, accept what? He said, oh, you don't know. Your students have challenged you to debate me on interpretation of the Constitution in front of your first year criminal law class. I said, great. (laughs) Come on. And he came up, and the first thing he said is, I'm not a justice today. I'm just another lawyer. And... The students, you're all equal to me, and the professor is all equal. We're going to have a great debate, and whoever has the best ideas will win. And we went at it for two hours, and he wasn't Justice Scalia. He was just a guy with some very conservative ideas, and um, we had a terrific, terrific debate. And we've continued that literally until just months ago. Uh, we were in Israel together. We debated Bush versus Gore. At Harvard, we debated Bush versus Gore. Recently, I was in the Supreme Court, and he was um, involved with a group of students from Columbia. and I got invited to participate. We debated separation of church and state. Um, you know, he was just a feisty guy, funny, um, smart, loved to engage, loved to test his ideas. Um, he, he, and, and forgive um, me, if, like, like yeah. you are
1: known... Uh, though fiercely partisan, known as fiercely collegial, if that can be yeah, well, read.
2: I, I think that's right. And he, he, he complimented me very much recently when I was with him. He said, You know, Alan, a lot of people can say things about us. The one thing that nobody could ever say about either of us is that we're boring. He said, We're not boring. And boy, he was not <laughs> boring. We fought like children about a Bush versus Gore. And he finally wrote me a long letter about it. And at the end of it, he said, look, Alan, someday, before both of us become senile, I'm going to sit down with you, and I'm going to persuade you that I did the right thing. Well, I thought about that today, because that day will never come. We will not have that conversation. But we had many conversations about Bush versus Gore, about so many, so many things, and I'll miss him. I'll miss his conversations, I'll miss his arguments, I'll miss reading his opinions, I'll miss writing him notes about his opinions and him responding. He always responded, Uh, and uh, he was a very, very good communicator.
1: Professor, he reminds me, and I I don't have the ability to capture and articulate, in sports, which I know you love, there were figures that drew people into the sport, even they though they knew nothing of it or little of it or cared less. Yeah, sure. But they were drawn to it because of that exceptional talent. And mm-hmm. Scalia was, Justice Scalia was one of those people, and again, I, everyone forgive me, much like yourself, Professor, and you already know I feel this mm-hmm. way, so no reason to blush, uh, you know who drew people to the law, not to laws, mm-hmm. but to the law, no, because I agree with of you know the d- ability to give it flesh and dimension um and it's for that I ask you this, bringing us up to this evening, professor, is it do you regard it as irony or inevitable, or both, that the passing of Justice Scalia proved to have immediate political profound political impact i.e., as of this debate this evening.
2: Yeah, no, I think he would have been the first to understand that. He understood that a Supreme Court justice, although his or her job is to interpret the Constitution, that it's a political institution. We have a system of a tripartite government of equal weight. The only country in the world with the judiciary is equal to the president, equal to the legislative branch. He understood that. You know, there was a moment in time when Justice Scalia actually thought about running for president. Not too many people know that. But he thought seriously, and he spoke to friends about it, about throwing his hat into the ring and getting into politics, because he understood that to implement the kinds of policies that he strongly believed in, uh, conservative policies, religious policies, he was a deeply, deeply religious Catholic. In fact, one of the strongest uh, arguments we ever had is I challenged him once on his Catholicism. Boy, that takes kutzpah, you know, for a (laughs) to challenge a a graduate of Georgetown University, and and Xavier on his Catholicism. I said that his views on capital punishment, where he said that it would not be unconstitutional to execute an innocent person if the innocent person had had a fair trial. And I said... Thomas Aquinas would never have supported that. The Vatican would never have supported that. We had a great debate and a great conversation about Catholic theology, Jewish theology, Protestant theology, capital punishment, the Constitution. I mean, he loved interpreting words. We had conversations about how you interpret music, how you interpret opera, compared to how you interpret the Constitution. He was a man who was very eclectic. He loved opera. I saw him at the opera. Um, many, many times. Most recent time I think I saw him was at the Richard Tucker um, Opera uh, Concert in New York. Um, he loved opera. Ruth Bader Ginsburg used to go with him to the opera. I didn't go with him to the opera, but I'd see him there. We would we would schmooze and we would talk. Cause we always enjoyed talking to each other. We talked a lot about his father, who was a very interesting character. He was, you know, an Italian immigrant, came to the United States, became chairman of the Department of of romance languages at Brooklyn College very conservative uh very controversial as a professor and he loved his father he was an only child he made up for that by having eight children of his own or nine eight or nine i can't remember maybe nine uh and uh, and um you know he as he said uh it was god's will for him to have so many children he played what he called Vatican roulette and that is obviously he was saying he didn't use birth control, and when God wanted him to have a child, that's when he would have a child. You know, he an amazing before, guy. He was so interesting. Everything you discussed with him was interesting.
1: Professor, before I yield to my colleagues, uh, Skip LaCombe, Dr. Thompson, if they have a comment, question, uh, whatever here, let me, if, if I, I may, I, I steal a little bit more of you to, 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 to ask this. Um, A lot of people on the political right slash right of center are already arguing the president ought not make a pick because, you know, yada, 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 wait for the will of the people. He's a lame duck. And and, and again, I'm not eager to, to have or see or contemplate who President Obama would wish Uh, to not replace, that's a very, very very misleading approximation. Nobody would replace Justice Scalia. But but though I am among those least eager to see the president's, you know, suggestions, uh, it seems to me that obviously the other side says, what are you, crazy? You know, that's what he must do. What, what, What say you?
2: Well, first of all, I think Justice Scalia would be the first to say that the president has a constitutional obligation to fill the vacancy. The Constitution says the president shall, with the advice and consent of the Senate, appoint Supreme Court justices. So he's the president. The, president the Constitution doesn't do anything about lame duck. He's the president. He's the president for 11, 11 more months, and he's going to make a nomination. Now, he has to be smart about it. He's not going to get the whole loaf. He's not going to be able to get a kind of liberal Democrat of the kind he previously appointed to the court, so to Mayor, uh, uh Elena Kagan. He's not going to get that appointment. He's going to need to get a middle-of-the-road person who Republicans will support. Um, He probably will try to do something that's politically astute, like appoint the first Asian American to the Supreme Court um, or an African American like Cory Booker. Cory Booker carries with him the benefit of being a senator, and the Senate rarely doesn't confirm its own, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. So Cory Booker is a potential nominee also opens the new jersey seat up for a republican to get in the next election um or there are three or four extraordinarily well-qualified asian americans who serve on the circuit courts or in professorships and that would be hard for the republicans to say we're going to turn down the first asian american you know Scalia was nominated unanimously in part because he was the first italian american to serve on the supreme uh-huh. court and so you know ethnicity does matter in appointments and so i think if the president Is smart. He's going to pick a moderate centrist with a kind of unpredictable record who nobody could really be strongly opposed to and hope that maybe there'll be enough Republicans who will see that it really is the job of the Senate to confirm if, if it's a decent appointment. You know, when Herbert Hoover was making a nomination, his attorney general gave him a list of 10 people. On the bottom of the list was a Democrat named Benjamin Cardoza. And Hoover said, it's a great list, but you have it back upside down. I want Cardoza. And they said, but he's a Democrat. He said, he's the greatest judge sitting in the United States today. And it's my job to appoint the greatest judge. And he appointed Cardoza, who turned out to be very conservative on the Supreme Court. So you never know. Felix Frankfurter was appointed as a liberal. He turned out to be very conservative. Souter was appointed as a conservative. He turned out to be somewhat liberal. Stevens was appointed as a conservative, somewhat liberal. You never know. Kennedy was appointed to replace Bork when Bork combination didn't work. He turned out to be kind of, you never know which way he'll come out on any particular vote because he's Uh, the same vote. uh,
1: Professor, I have, as you know, a sound effect for uh, any time Bork is mentioned. Here it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as, as for
2: that process, uh, Doc, you know, I like Skip, justice. I like a I like question comment. He was a very for the professor. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Professor, I just uh, wanted to quickly ask, and I want to put you on the spot. If you didn't have a chance to watch uh-huh. any of the debates tonight, but what have you thought about some of the debates, particularly on the GOP side with so many of them and uh, Trump's resurgence? I just want to see what your comments are and thoughts about how these you know, have been I've handled and Donald the Trump, Trump candidacy. I've- i 've known Donald Trump for a long time, um, and, and I like him as a person i 've had very nice dealings with him over the years. Ted Cruz was my student i 've known him over the years. I know jeb bush i 've had lunch with him I enjoy him he 's very very able very able guy i 've met Mark Rubio i think it 's a you know a, a, a good field of, of candidates uh, and uh, uh, The problem with both parties is that when you win your primaries. You may, it makes it harder for you to win the general election. And the Republican side, you have to move to the right. I know Kasich today, his closing statement, all he talked about was the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. You know, you're not running to be uh, the, the the head of some church. You're running to be president. But, you know, Republicans have to move to the right and cite religion. Democrats have to move to the left and try to out socialist uh, uh uh you know sanders and it's going to be it's, whoever gets the nomination on either side they have to then move back to the middle and that's always a little difficult to do so professor you know, it was i was an interesting I, debate
0: i loved uh hearing your stories about how you uh kept in touch with scully and your your debates back and forth I, I just think that's fascinating It reminds me of the founding, mm-hmm. founding fathers very very cool one thing i want to ask you though moving forward what is the likelihood in your opinion, of the Senate not confirming whoever the president uh, nominates. And we move forward with only eight Supreme Court justices.
2: It's very likely. We've had that before when Thurgood Marshall was nominated. It took a long time to get him confirmed. And um, that was true when he was nominated to the Second Circuit and less true in the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And it's not the first time in history that we would have eight justices. There would be a lot of four-to-four decisions. You know, Justice Scalia's death may very well have saved affirmative action. Um, pundits believe that affirmative action was going to be struck down by a 5-4 to four vote with Scalia writing the opinion. And very likely he has written the opinion. Very likely it's sitting in the Supreme Court. But he doesn't get to vote now. And oh. so the case may very well be decided 4-4. Four to four. And uh, there may be half a dozen other cases that are decided 4-4. Four to And four. when you have a 4-4 four to four decision... What happens is the lower court opinion prevails, but it doesn't have any precedential effect as an as a Supreme Court decision. Do
0: you think so, that that, that would? And I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do you think that would influence um, you know what happens behind closed doors in the Supreme Court when when they're discussing these things? I mean, to know okay, this we could end up splitting on this thing here.
2: Yeah. Oh, sure. Mostly they won't take a case if they think they're going to split four okay. four. But when they took the case. There were nine justices, yeah. and now they, uh, you know, have eight justices. So, it, this was completely unpredictable. And you know, Justice Scalia, as far as I know, had no medical problems. Uh, Tragically, he didn't feel well last night. He went to sleep, and uh,
0: he apparently he, he passed away. Alan Dershowitz claiming foul play with Justice Scalia. Very, That's the headline. very oh, interesting. No <laughs> way, no way. You know. Look,
2: look. The one thing you can say about Justice Scalia: he, he, he. You know, if if you're going to die, he died a good death. He died in his sleep, no pain. Um, I'll miss Day him hunting. so much. Mm-hmm.
1: And and yeah. according to you, Alan lived a good
2: life. He lived a good life. He had a terrific family. His children love him. Uh, he had a wonderful wife, a wonderful father. Uh, he lived a good life. Uh, he got what he wanted. He had only one disappointment. He wanted to be Solicitor General of the United States, arguing cases in the Supreme Court. And he was beaten out for that by a friend of mine named Rex Lee, uh, who also did a great job. But then he got nominated to the Circuit Court. He understood that would be a stepping stone to the Supreme Court of the United States. and. Uh, He, you know, thirty years on the Supreme Court—that's a good life, and uh, and he made the most of it. He debated everybody. He never shrank from (laughs) any kind of a conversation. Professor,
1: in closing, sure. How would you summarize the influence, the legacy,
2: uh, jurisprudential and otherwise? Tremendous influence. He changed the way the Supreme Court thinks about originalism, uh, original intent. He became, he was the best writer, he was a slashing writer, he took no prisoners, but he was the best writer on the Supreme Court, which I think helped popularize his opinions. You know, his opinions are readable, you don't have to be a lawyer to really love his opinions. So he will have an enduring uh, influence, not so much with the content of his opinions, because he was on the wrong side of history on a lot of issues, gay rights, gay marriage, uh, other issues. But I think he'll be remembered for changing the methodology of the Supreme Court, and it will have a big continuing influence. So he will be regarded as among ten, among the top ten influential justices, starting with John Jay and John Marshall back in the, you know, 18th century.